Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz. Evan, how's it going? It's going well. And, uh, you know, for once, uh, I don't want to say for once, but in this fairly dark year, we have what seems to be a glimmer of good news. Um, there has been a development in the past day, really, that uh, Israel and the Palestinians are going to resume cooperation and ties in some areas where those relations had been severed earlier this year. Yes, excellent news and probably connected to the election results um, with incoming president-elect uh, Biden. But to break, you don't say they, that they didn't down, like Trump. The Palestinians, uh, you know, there were there. Were, I, I know at least three Palestinians that had a positive opinion of Trump, but the rest, uh, I'm not so sure. Um, but to break that down, uh, we're joined by uh, Israel Policy Pod favorite uh, Neri Zilber. Neri, you with us? I'm with you. Good to be back. Ah, yes, Neri. Now, Neri, uh, journalist and analyst, he's been on the podcast several times before. Uh, he's written uh, for the New York Times, the Daily Beast, Foreign Policy, Politico, and the Atlantic. He's an adjunct fellow at the Washington Institute, and he is also the co-author of State with No Army, Army with No State, Evolution of the Palestinian Authority Security Forces, um, and that was written with Raith Almari. So Neri is really the perfect guest to talk about what just happened, which is the restoration of uh, security coordination between security and economic cooperation between Israel and the Palestinian Authority. Neri, thank you very much for joining us. Great to have you back on the pod. Always a pleasure for IPF. So, Neri, uh, I was going to follow on with what Eli was saying. These weren't just ties in the area of security coordination, although that was one of the major areas where relationships and coordination had been cut off. Can you briefly outline what areas of coordination were severed between Israel and the Palestinians and the reasons those ties were cut off? Right. So basically, back in the summer, in May, uh, the Palestinian leadership in Ramallah, uh, led by President Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, uh, took the decision to sever all security and uh, civil and economic ties with Israel in protest at the looming threat of annexation. Uh, so the Israeli government was sworn in uh, in May, and they had set this pseudo deadline uh, in June for for possible annexation in, in and of the West Bank. And so in response, uh, the Palestinian Authority looked for look to send a message, uh, look to push back uh, both against Israel and against uh, the Trump administration and regionally and internationally to send a message, a shot across the bow. And really one of the only tools uh, that they had at their disposal and still have at their disposal is really these security ties with Israel, uh, coupled with the civil and economic ties that they have with Israel. Um, basically, it's meant to to send a message that we, we're willing ostensibly to uh, undermine our own stability and our own interest uh, and thereby maybe threaten uh, the stability in the West Bank and through that Israeli interest in the West Bank. So really that was the the kind of overarching strategic logic behind behind the move. Um, you know, if you are going to move forward and take this step, annexing the West Bank, uh, violating essentially 
20, 25 years of, of these peace process Oslo paradigm, uh, we're no longer beholden to those paradigms, uh, including our close security ties, including the common economic union that we have with Israel and so on and so forth. So that really is, is the context uh, by which and because of which uh, the PA took this decision. The only problem for them is that annexation never happened. Uh, I mean, it's not a problem big picture, but it was a problem because they had already taken these steps. And so even after it was clear that annexation wasn't going to happen, uh, both because of the second wave of corona here in Israel and also and primarily the uh, peace agreement between Israel and the UAE, which uh, essentially suspended annexation in the West Bank for about three years, uh, the PA was really looking for this ladder to climb down from these steps that they had taken. And so they basically were waiting to see what the results of the U.S. election were going to be earlier this month. And lo and behold, uh, after Biden, uh, in their minds, thankfully was elected, uh, that really provided the cover uh, for which to calm down. And when we talk about the resumption of ties, how are these relationships actually being restarted? What's actually happening on the ground between Israelis and Palestinians? So back in May, uh, when the PA took the decision to, to sever security coordination, um, really uh, the the officers and, and the intel chiefs and the Israeli generals and officers, uh, they stopped talking to one another. Uh, they stopped coordinating. So, for instance, if the IDF were was going into a Palestinian village in the middle of the night, uh, traditionally they would uh, give a heads up to the PA security forces and to coordinate uh, kind of a deconfliction mechanism uh, with those forces. Uh, that stopped. Uh, but having said that, a lot of things remained in place. And even the Palestinian uh, officials that I spoke to said it clearly that uh, while we severed security ties and we're no longer talking with you and coordinating with you, there are certain red lines that we will not cross that will be upheld in terms of security. Uh, we're going to still stop terror attacks that we know of uh, before they're they're launched. Uh, we're still going to rescue Israeli civilians if they wander into Palestinian towns and villages and, and extricate them safely. Uh, and we're still uh, going to stop kind of mass demonstrations from coalescing and, and kind of pouring out into uh, kind of various seam zones and highways and, and settlements in the West Bank. So there were things despite the fact that security coordination was severed, that, that remained in place. And so now what you're going to see uh, moving forward after yesterday's announcement is that uh, officially and openly and publicly, Israeli and Palestinian officials uh, will continue speaking with one another, uh, meeting, uh, coordinating. And that, I think, will have a positive effect on the ground. Uh, it'll, it'll remove any chances of, of kind of miscalculations or, or undue friction uh, between Palestinian and Israeli security forces, which is good uh, to stem any kind of uh, flare-up and escalation. And, and really tangibly, uh, for instance, in the last several months, because of the pandemic, uh, PA security forces have found it hard to move into kind of outlying areas of the West Bank, uh, more rural villages, uh, because it requires coordination with the Israelis, which, which has essentially been suspended. So things like that, on a very practical level, I think, will, will be improved and uh, overall uh, stability in the West Bank, I think, will uh, will improve. Um, Neri, now there's been a lot of talk about Trump uh, making irrational moves uh, with his last uh, few weeks, what is it, six weeks uh, left in office. Um, there have been reports about uh, how his advisors talked him out of an attack on the Iranian nuclear uh, facilities, when we're looking at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, 
can you see um, the Trump administration uh, doing something dramatic, or at least giving Israel kind of a green light to do something dramatic? And does this suggest that the Palestinians aren't really concerned with that happening? No, I don't think they're concerned. I don't think we should be concerned. Uh, you know, to take just one off-topic example, the the New York Times uh, report about Trump asking his advisors whether he could attack Iran. I I don't deem it credible. Uh, I'm not talking about the report, but just the intent by Trump to attack Iran in the last days and weeks of his administration. Um, and similarly here here in Israel and, and in Palestine. Uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, Trump essentially gave everything to Israel already. Uh, he already moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He, they already essentially de facto recognized uh, Israel's West Bank settlements. They recognized Israeli sovereignty on the Golan Heights. Uh, they cut off aid to to the Palestinians and, and so on and so forth. So I think really all the goodies that they could have provided Israel uh, in these kind of dying days of, of the administration uh, were already given. Um, and really, especially after the, the recent peace deals between Israel and, and the UAE and Bahrain and, and also possibly Sudan, uh, the annexation or, or kind of a green light for Israeli annexation won't happen anyway. So I don't, I don't see anything dramatic happening uh, you know, in this part of the world in the dying days of, of the Trump administration uh, you know, relating to Israel and Palestine specifically. Uh, what you what you might see and what you're already seeing is both parties preparing uh, for a Biden administration. Uh, so yesterday I, I tweeted this out, but it it really was the first the first day of the Biden era in Israel Palestine. So you not only had the Palestinian Authority right. resuming ties uh, with Israel, really because they knew that uh, that Biden was going to come in and and U.S. policy was going to shift uh, essentially back in their favor or or back to the status quo ante before Trump and, and providing some balance to U.S. policy uh, in this region. Uh, but you also had Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, actually uh, holding a phone call with President-elect Biden. And the, the official statement released by the Israeli Prime Minister's office called him President-elect Biden. So you're, you're kind of uh, seeing both sides and other actors in the region uh, prepare for the Biden era and kind of uh, preparing the ground for the Biden era uh, on all kinds of uh, policy issues. So, Neri, you've addressed this previously, and it had been pretty clear in the weeks and months leading up to the election that the Palestinian leadership clearly favored Biden winning the American presidential election. Do we have a sense for what backup plan they had, if any, uh, for a second Trump term? And what are they going to do the next time there is a Republican president, assuming that the next Republican president carries over some of the hallmarks of the Trump administration's policy on Israel and Palestine? So it, it's a great question, this kind of counterfactual, what would the Palestinians have done uh, if Trump were reelected? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I don't... I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that out of all uh, the parties and actors and states and organizations in the world that were looking at the U.S. election, uh, the biggest relief may have been side in Ramallah. Um, obviously, the U.S. public, or a big chunk of the U.S. public also uh, heaved a big sigh of relief. But really, uh, the Palestinians were, were going to be in a very difficult position if Trump uh, 
was reelected. Um, it's an open question whether they would have resumed uh, security and civil ties with Israel if Trump were reelected. Um, it's an open question whether they would have gone through with a threat, and this is kind of their 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 plan B, at least uh, threatened plan B um, in recent months, which was reconciliation with Hamas and potentially elections next year for the Palestinian parliament, uh, potentially uh, bringing the Hamas into the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization. Uh, and those those steps, uh, there's a reason why those things haven't happened for uh, for over a decade. Um, those are, would have been very difficult steps for for Abbas and the Palestinian leadership uh, in, in Fatah and the Fatah movement to to have accepted. But they were at least signaling it um, as kind of their their fallback option. I'm skeptical whether even if Trump had been reelected, they would have they would have gone through with it. But it's at least worth mentioning that this was this was also in the air. Um, thankfully for the Palestinians and and for many others around the world, uh, Biden was elected, and so it provided them the perfect cover to to kind of revert back to to the more traditionalist uh, Abbas foreign policy, uh, which was kind of close security coordination with Israel, uh, commitment to uh, to negotiations and the peace process. Uh, and I think you know, I think that's all for the good. Um, you know, we talk about security coordination, but also really for the for the average Palestinian, the fact that that for six months the PA uh, was refusing to accept tax transfers from from Israel um, as part of the overall uh, joint customs union between Israel and and the Palestinian Authority. That that really was having an impact on on just everyday Palestinian life. Uh, civil servants, 150,000 in the West Bank, uh, were going with either no or partial salaries. For six months, um, and that that had a major impact. So I think there's a big sigh of relief, uh, not only at the top of the Palestinian leadership, but uh, really probably amongst the amongst the public as well. And the the prospect for a future Republican administration is the Palestinian approach just going to be pray that the Democrats hold the White House forever, or uh, do you think they're going to start planning for the future? Uh, I mean, look, we <laughs> I, I know it's uh, I know it's. It's uh, not becoming of journalists and commentators to to not predict the future and to not uh, kind of immediately uh, look ahead and, and and point out what may or may not happen. Uh, you know, Biden was just elected; he hasn't taken office yet. It's it's still an open question to my mind what kind of policy the a Biden administration will have vis a vis Israel and Palestine. Uh, and so, I think I think that goes also for any future potential Republican. Uh, I think there, there's a big difference whether it's someone like Trump or maybe somebody uh, kind of in a more traditional vein of Republican foreign policy uh, that, that that strikes a, you know a more balanced approach. But uh, but I think I think look uh, you know six months ago uh, Israel almost annexed the West Bank. Um, now annexation is off the table. Uh, Trump is on his way out. Biden uh, is going to be coming in uh, at the end of January. So I think. Uh, you know, time time in this part of the world is, is uh, very relative, uh, and a lot can change. I, you know, I, to my mind, the biggest issue is is not who is the U.S. president, but uh, but really uh, how long uh, Mahmoud Abbas will remain president of uh, of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, I think really, if we're, if we're looking at a kind of major major signal changes um, in in this region, uh, that that'll be a big a big issue um, as it has been for the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, we could just have podcasts just dedicated to that issue of succession in the Palestinian Authority. In Palestinian Authority succession. After. Yes. That's the great, the great game. <laughs> the next great HBO uh, TV series. Um, but 
back to what you said about uh, the Palestinian public reacting positively. Um, do we know, like, have, I mean, has, have we seen any, uh, I mean, obviously this just happened two days ago, so I, I doubt there has been uh, any polling done to see Palestinian attitudes uh, on the restoration of security ties. But if I recall, Abbas actually grew in popularity when he was taking, when he decided to take this tough stance against uh, Trump and uh, Netanyahu um, among the Palestinian public. So are we confident that there's definitely a a positive feeling uh, in the West Bank and in Gaza that that the Palestinian Authority is back cooperating with Israel security-wise? And I mean, we'll get into this in a bit. Uh, this comes just like days after an announcement about Israeli construction of uh of uh, housing units in a very controversial neighborhood of Jerusalem. Um, so that that's one thing I want to ask you about. And, and the other thing is uh, moving forward to the Biden administration. What do you think the priorities are for the Palestinians uh, to get uh, from this administration? Is it just kind of a slow path back to the negotiating table? Is it a settlement freeze? Um, is it moving the embassy back to Tel Aviv, which sounds uh, unrealistic to me at least? What do you think the Palestinians are are looking for? Sorry, that was a bu- I gave a few questions, so take your time to to break it down. Uh, no, I mean they're they're well taken questions all. Uh, so to answer the first part, uh, you're right that. Uh, there is no love lost amongst the Palestinian public for for close Israeli-Palestinian security coordination. Um, that's been true for for a while. Uh, Palestinian security forces are viewed by uh, a big chunk of the Palestinian public as essentially subcontractors for the occupation. That they keep things quiet in the West Bank and Israel continues to do whatever it wants. And so, um, you know, this is vital work. I would argue it is vital for for overall stability for both Palestinians and Israelis, uh, it's not it's not too popular. Um, you know, you mentioned Gaza. Uh, Hamas has already come out blasting uh, blasting Abbas and and the PA for for renewing these ties. So they're obviously angry uh, sitting in Gaza because uh, at least nominally they had the, this path that they've been pushing for for a while for uh, for kind of reconciliation and, and through that to enter the uh, the PLO, uh, the kind of umbrella movement for the for the wider national, wider uh, Palestinian national movement, which they've been excluded from since uh, since their founding. Um, so, so there are obviously differences of opinion, but I would counter that by saying that, uh, as I mentioned, there there are a lot of uh, kind of Palestinian uh, families, uh, whether one breadwinner is is a teacher or a civil servant or a security officer who who have just not gotten paid. Um, already for almost half a year, and, and just to put this into into a dollar amount, uh, it's almost a billion dollars that Israel has uh, is holding on to because the Palestinians have been refusing to uh, to accept tax transfers, and that's a big it's a big chunk of their of their uh, budget. Uh, some by some estimates, fifty to sixty percent of their budget is is exactly these tax transfers. So that'll I think that'll help, uh, especially during this kind of Corona time where. Uh, there's a massive slowdown uh, in the Palestinian economy, just like everywhere else in the world. To answer your, your second question about what, what the Palestinian expectations might be of Biden, uh, I think at base, 
it's really uh, to kind of revert back to a more traditional and more balanced uh, U.S. policy uh, for this part of the world. Uh, so things like uh, taking Trump's uh, very much skewed deal of the century off the table, uh, like rolling back uh, de facto U.S. recognition of Israel's West Bank settlements, uh, like reopening the PLO mission in Washington, uh, like reopening the U.S. consulate uh, in Jerusalem, which was really the, the diplomatic mission for uh, for the Palestinian Authority. Uh, and all these things uh, together, I think, will will go a long way in, in showing that Biden uh, is taking a very, very different approach than uh, than what Trump took. And look, longer term, I think this is a question that, that we're asking at the moment. And I don't think even the Biden administration, whoever will be tasked with uh, with filling the, the senior foreign policy positions, actually know uh, what their foreign policy will be like vis-a-vis Israel and Palestine. Uh, I imagine that the, the first order of business uh, for the Biden administration won't actually be Palestine or, or the West Bank or Gaza, but it'll be Iran. And so you're already seeing the Israeli government and various uh, kind of Likud ministers and security officials already laying the groundwork for, uh, as they say, differences of opinion uh, with the Biden administration about how uh, America should or should not re-engage with Iran on the on the nuclear program and uh, any future kind of nuclear talks. So I think that'll be uh, kind of a, a first order priority for a Biden administration that has nothing to do with the Palestinians. Um, but I do think, and this is where I differ slightly from other from other analysts, that a Biden administration won't won't just kind of leave it for for later. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of conventionalism to say that well. Biden is facing a you know a pandemic at home, an economic crisis, uh, a fractured and disunified nation, and you know he he has a lot on his plate, and so he won't really care about what happens uh, in Israel or the West Bank. Um, that's that's probably true as far as it goes, but there are, are many things that uh, a Biden uh, foreign policy uh, officialdom, Secretary of State, National Security Council. Uh, have to do uh, in terms of uh, the Palestinian Authority and and, and Israel. Um, you know, if Israel takes, uh, like you like you mentioned earlier, uh, announces uh, you know controversial construction in East Jerusalem or the West Bank, then the U.S. has to come out and and tell the world what what its position is, um, like it has in the past. Uh, if there is an escalation, say in Gaza, then a Biden administration will have to tell us what uh, what its position is. Um, a Biden administration also, and this is this relates to to the balance of forces in Congress. Um, will the U.S. Uh, uh, reinstate uh, American aid to the Palestinians, um, a vital a vital source of uh, development aid and and uh, you know financial support to the Palestinians that the Trump administration just cut? Uh, so all these questions. I don't think can can wait, uh, you know, six months or a year into a Biden administration. Um, that's just my take. But again, I don't. I'm not entirely clear that uh, the the potential and future Biden officials have a clear mind about what they actually want to do uh, vis-a-vis you know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As with many things that we've been discussing, it will be. Uh, you know, a couple weeks or two months until we start to find out the clear answers. Let's take a break now to hear a message from our sponsor, Israel Policy Forum. Hi, I'm Dahlia Jude, the Strategic Initiatives Associate of IPF Fatid. 
Israel Policy Forum's Young Professionals Network. IPF Atid has chapters across North America and works to advance support for a viable two-state outcome to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict among the next generation of foreign policy professionals and American Jewish leaders. To learn more about how to get involved and keep up with our upcoming virtual events, visit www.israelpolicyforum.org slash Atid. Neri, you were just discussing some of the things that Israel could do that could impact the direction of relations between uh, Israel and the Palestinians, the U.S. and the Palestinians. Uh, Eli brought up the building in Givat Hamatos. We have, we've also seen a spate of demolitions in the West Bank of Palestinian structures there. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, in considering this, it doesn't just matter who the U.S. president is, but who the leader of the Palestinian Authority is. And I would add to that equation, uh, it matters who is running the show in Israel and what the Israeli prime minister and the Israeli government decide. So are there any things that you could see the Israelis doing uh, that might be beyond Biden's control or beyond the U.S.'s uh, purview that might derail or risk derailing relations with the Palestinians again? Um, I, I don't just because, uh, well, I'll say for two reasons, right? Uh, number one, it looks like uh, Israel might be going to yet another election uh, early next year, uh, anytime between February and April. Um, and that'll have its own, its own dynamic. Uh, and also, uh, you know, kind of despite all evidence to the contrary, uh, you know, I think Netanyahu wants to remain on good terms with with the future Biden administration. Um, it's not to say he won't he won't push back or disagree publicly. Um, it's not to say that he won't uh, possibly use uh, his disagreements with the Democratic administration in Washington as as a as a political chip here in Israel. But but I don't think he's going to likely go for for an all out bust up. Um, with the Biden administration, uh, definitely not early on, and so I think I think uh, you know it goes back to the announcement of the uh, construction in in that East Jerusalem neighborhood. Uh, the status quo is fairly comfortable for Israel, uh, especially now that the Palestinians have have indicated they're going to resume security ties, they're going to take the the tax transfer money, uh, and so it's you know it wouldn't surprise me if it would just be kind of business as usual for. Uh, for the Israeli government as it relates to uh, primarily the West Bank and, and East Jerusalem. Um, and I say that, you know, unfortunately, but it's also a question of what tools the Biden administration may or may not bring to bear uh, on the Israeli government on this and other issues. Um, and the big question also to my mind is, is uh, how big of a priority uh, progressive voices uh, in Congress, um, in the Democratic Party, uh, what they say. On, on this issue of kind of Israel-Palestine and, and Israeli policy. Uh, and that, uh, as of yet also, uh, it's unknown, um, you know, how much how much emphasis they're going to put on that. And, uh, you know, if Biden administration perhaps strays too far uh, uh, in the direction uh, away from, let's say, what progressive voices uh, on the Hill want to see, um, how big of an issue will it actually be inside the Democratic Party? Um, I think it's too early to tell. Following up on that, you mentioned that the status quo is fairly uh, comfortable for Israel. 
Um, and we talked about the perception of the Palestinian Authority as a subcontractor for the occupation. So how tenable do you think the resumption of relations is from the public perception side among Palestinians? For as long as the succession debate has, has been raging, which has been for quite some time, Abbas is now 85 years old, uh, the question always to my mind was what what will come after, who will come after, but really what the what the political dynamics will be when this happens. So is it more or less likely that Abbas' successor will take a, a more moderate public position vis-a-vis Israel in the peace process if if there's no actual political horizon uh, for any kind of uh, you know positive movement? Is it more or less likely that Abbas' successor will be will be a moderate if uh, if the PA is is under major financial pressure and the public is is angry at the leadership and the only real outlet that they might choose to go is is kind of deflecting outwards towards Israel, whether through mass demonstrations or, uh, God forbid, armed violence. So so that really is the question. What what kind of PA, what kind of Israeli-Palestinian conflict you're leaving for Abbas's successor? And so all these steps now that, that hopefully revert back to a more stable status quo ante, uh, you know, again, it's 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 maybe not a great option, but it's not the worst option. So before we wrap up, Neri, um, since we have you on, uh, and you mentioned, I mean, I don't really have energy to talk about <laughs> the possibility of another round of Israeli elections. Um, you're talking about a successor to Abbas. Um, I just want to get your opinion on what you think of the a potential, or at least what the polls suggest, could be a potential successor to Netanyahu, which is Naftali Bennett. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, one a few polls came out in the last week, and one of them had had his Yamina party only three seats behind the Likud, the same Bennett that's party did not make, uh, did not pass the electoral threshold a few elections ago. Um, so, what do you make of? I mean, obviously, a lot of speculation here, but what do you make of his rise here, and how could a more prominent role of Naftali Bennett in a government, not suggesting that he would replace Netanyahu, how would that change the calculus in terms of the uh, the relationship with the new U.S. administration? Um, what's your take on, on that? So, if Israel, uh, and really Bibi Netanyahu, were to go for yet another election, uh, number four in the span of, I think, two years, uh, which would ha- happen likely early next year. I think Naftali Bennett and what he chooses to do and how many seats he gets will, will be the story of the election. Uh, as you mentioned, he's rising high in the polls, uh, primarily for how the public perceives him uh, to have handled uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, he was really uh, one of the lone voices early on, arguing for uh, for a kind of more responsible and objective and kind of uh, effective response by the Israeli government to to the pandemic, which which was late in coming, and so the public has rewarded him at least at least according to the opinion polls with with much greater support than he's ever received in the past. And how Bennett chooses to translate that support uh, on election day and, and after election day it really is is an open question. I'm not yet convinced that Bennett will go uh, the the kind of Kingslayer route and and really use his his public support, his, his, his Knesset seats to to topple Netanyahu, uh, I could very easily see him be a kingmaker. 
there's already kind of gossip and speculation here in political circles that uh, Bennett and Netanyahu are, are fully coordinated in their public messaging, that Bennett, uh, while criticizing Netanyahu publicly, is really uh, using that, that whip hand to garner kind of more centrist, more moderate votes uh, amongst the Israeli public. And so he could very easily uh, do an about face after election day and, and use those votes and use those seats to enter into uh, a government with the Likud and with the ultra-Orthodox parties uh, that, you know, there's a benefit for Bennett in that. You could sketch out a scenario where, where uh, Bibi makes him a godfather offer, uh, an offer he can't refuse. Uh, come rejoin the Likud, you and Ayala Chaked, his, his running mate, uh, come back into the fold. Uh, I'll be prime minister. You have uh, senior post, maybe defense minister, uh, all kinds of guarantees. Of being... Maybe he'll promise him a, a rotation agreement. You know how, how reliable those promises could be. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, again, it's, it's, these are rumors and gossip and theories, yeah. uh, but it goes back to the initial question. You know, what does Bennett actually want uh, to do? Um, you yeah. know, another course of action would be that he uses it really to, to get rid of Bibi, uh, that he forms a, a kind of more centrist coalition with uh, various parties, uh, anti-Netanyahu parties, and, and kind of becomes uh, the new leader of the right. Um, you know, there's a big chunk of, of the right wing uh, that, Bennett, that Bennett wants to court that uh, perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't forgive him for getting rid of, of Netanyahu. Um, so again, it's an open question what, what Bennett actually wants uh, to see happen, uh, it's also an open question whether he can maintain these these kind of eye-watering uh, poll numbers uh, on election day. Yeah, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Obviously, Bennett's strength right now has been uh, his approach to handling the COVID nineteen pandemic in Israel, not his right wing agenda when it comes to annexation and whatnot. So, and and it relates to. To the last bit in your question is, you know, how will a Biden administration uh, change the equation there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Change the equation or, or view such a government. Uh, you know, it's indicative that Bennett has been putting on a much more moderate face in recent months. His tagline is, you know, if it's not related to livelihood, it doesn't matter. Uh, I.e. the you know, annexation, West Bank settlements, uh, other kind of religious nationalist right wing agenda items are less relevant than the economic crisis uh, stemming from COVID. And so, again, uh, this, is, this is probably the responsible uh, approach from, from a, uh, an Israeli politician, especially in, in this moment in time. But uh, uh, after he gets those votes and after uh, a government is formed, will he actually not move forward on all these right-wing agenda items that he's championed for, uh, you know, since he came into politics some eight years ago. For sure. Well, with that, uh, Neri, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for joining uh, the pod. Always great to have you on, uh, your insights about all these issues and a lot to follow in the weeks and months ahead. So thanks a lot. My pleasure, guys, as always. 